I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 33. As you turn there to these verses, you'll quickly see if you didn't receive my email this week that uh, we are encountering some verses that offer much controversy in our uh, times. Uh, you may feel, we may all feel a little bit like uh, someone dancing with an elephant today. Uh, it's going to be a little awkward. Our toes will get stepped on and it might hurt a little bit, but that's good for us as well as we walk through these uh, verses. The uh, notion that there's particular roles in marriage for husband and wife is certainly volatile in our culture, uh, so much so that before I even begin to read these verses, I, I feel like uh, I need to, to diffuse the bomb, to uh, take the switch off the bomb before we even start, and uh, to simply ask first as we read these verses that we open ourselves up, that we ask God to allow us to hear His good and true word for us, rather than uh, responding with maybe a knee-jerk political correctness reaction, or responding even with something deeper from our own experiences, to hear what God has to say, husbands and wives to us today, those who are not married, or perhaps one day that may be God's calling for you, there's a good word here uh, for us. And even as I try to get us to walk along that pathway, even if we can sort of clear the air that way, once we get to the actual content of these verses, we also face another barrier, and that is these are really challenging and high calling, both for men and women, for husband and wife in marriage. And so we will need to be reminded, as we already have in this worship service, of God's grace, that he's gracious to forgive us, that we stand in Christ's righteousness, even though we fall greatly short, in this case, uh, husbands falling short of our calling, wives falling short of their calling. We need to re be reminded of God's grace, but that same grace that forgives us also propels us forward to seek to walk as God has called us to glorify Him in this way. Uh, one other thing before we read these verses, Paul, far from sort of randomly addressing this topic, he's actually on a trajectory that's been happening already through Ephesians, talked in the first three chapters about all that Christ has done for us, how we receive that simply by faith, and now as we work through chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's mapping that on to different areas of our life. He talked in chapter 4 about the church, what's it look like to live in unity and purity in the church. Now we're going to talk about marriage. Next week we'll talk about parenting and then also work. So he's mapping that on to different areas of our lives. That's what you'll see as we begin to read these verses. Stand with me then as we look at these. We may run a little bit longer today too because there's just a lot to tackle here. We'll start actually in verse 21 of Ephesians 5. I'll read it aloud as you read along with me. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle <coughs> or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do ask uh, now again that you would take this time of being in your word, that you would teach us and equip us, strengthen us, that our marriages might be pleasing to you. Uh, strengthen us for areas we face that are difficult. Strengthen us in areas where it's hard for us to even begin to hear some of the things in these verses, that we might be open to you and your working. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our... Uh, Twin five-year-olds are playing soccer this fall. I should say they're involved in an activity that includes a ball, some grass, and some goals. To call it soccer would be a, a stretch of the imagination, to be sure. I call it, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, I call it blob ball. As you know, basically at that age of five years old or so, they, they just sort of get near the ball and they kind of kick at it a bit and they're just in a blob. And then occasionally the ball will kind of squirt out over there and the whole blob will kind of move over here to where the ball is and they'll continue kicking each other and it kind of proceeds like that. They certainly don't uh, understand that there are positions on the field uh, it would be hard for them to grasp that there's defense and offense and that actually both are very important. Without them, you, you can't really succeed at this game. It, it's frankly pretty frustrating to watch, although it's enjoyable as a parent. It's a frustrating from a sporting standpoint. A few years ago, our oldest son actually played in a different league on different fields, and they did the unfortunate thing of locating several of these sort of five-year-old field, soccer fields right next to each other so that three or four games would be going on within 10 or 15 feet of each other, and the blob in that case would actually get over to the side, and if the blob from the other field was over close to that same side, kids would actually leave that game and join the other game. That's how bad... It was. When you don't know what position you're playing, or even that there are positions, you might just find yourself on completely the wrong field. You really might. And I know when we look at these verses, verses that are challenging in light of all the issues that we wrestle through in a marriage relationship, which are certainly deep issues, when we look at these verses, it may seem like a little bit of an oversimplification, but I really think it helps us get to the heart of the issue to realize that uh, our culture today would decry this idea that we actually have some positions to play in this marriage relationship, but the Bible actually teaches just that thing, that very thing. And it's for our good. That's how you have a successful marriage. That's how you have a God-glorifying marriage. Well, uh, Discover right away that these, you know, these instructions and these verses don't say anything about who's supposed to empty the dishwasher or who's supposed to do the laundry or who's supposed to mow the lawn. Those are not the issues that are addressed here. It really doesn't say anything here about uh, the political sphere or the workplace sphere or, or those questions. It's really just focused in, and I want our focus to be today, on marriage, on our family relationships. And so as we look at these verses, we'll see that... Uh, that there are some timeless principles, though, here. 
And the timeless principle is seen in the fact that Paul roots all of what he says about marriage in who Christ is, in what Christ has done for his church and who we're called to be as his people. So if you look on the back of your bulletin, if you want to follow along with with, uh, where we're headed here, I think the main idea is this in these verses. Christ demonstrates love and submission to save us. Those are things he did. And so we must live out the same in our marriage to glorify him. That's the challenge that these verses present to us. They raise right off the bat some essential questions for us. What is the marriage relationship supposed to be like? Does Scripture teach some different roles for a husband and wife? Is that even something the Bible presents? If it does, how do we put that together with the very negative view, the negative feelings that that may even elicit for some of you as you're sitting here listening to me talk? What then is positive about it? What's good about it? What is the, why does the Scripture say that it's, that it's good for us to pursue this? And as it answers all of these questions, the verses are also going to be answering a question that we probably aren't even thinking we would need to ask when it comes to these verses. And that is this. How are these marriage roles and responsibilities related to the love and submission that Christ shows in order to redeem us? Because Paul says all of this stuff is connected in some way. And so I want us to begin to see that today as we walk through these verses. And, and when we see that, we need to understand then that Paul's presenting to us something that's far more than just mere pragmatics. It doesn't have to be a marriage relationship. You put two people together in a, a, an office space that have to interact with one another or on a sports field or in school or wherever. If you're in close contact with somebody, there's going to be some issues that come up. And so a lot of times we sort of want to, we've got this itch and we want to scratch it. We want to figure out how do we deal with these issues. It becomes very pragmatic. And there's a thousand magazines and a thousand talk shows and a thousand books out there that are sort of addressed at that. What I want us to see is I'm afraid if we just try to deal with that and don't go deeper and listen to God's word, we're just, to go back to our analogy, we're just changing, you know, shin guards. We're just switching out cleats. And we're really not figuring out how to play soccer, how you play the game of marriage in this case. So Paul wants us to go and look at some things that are pretty deep. Here's what we're going to try to do in our short time today. I need to talk about some underlying principles, and I'm going to share those for a minute now. Then we'll talk about uh, what I call mutual submission in Christ, which you'll see is pretty clear in these verses. Then we'll talk to the husbands. Then we'll talk to the wives. That's where we're headed in the next few minutes. Some underlying principles for us. The first one, and it's just the reality of uh, the congregation that's here today, is that we come from probably a lot of different places in how we view our spiritual life. And so one of the things that I feel like I need to say right off the bat is that as Christians, a Christian believes that the Bible is true, that it speaks God's word to us that we need to hear. Uh, when we say that, we're not simply sort of being gullible as Christians. In fact, I, I would label myself a highly skeptical person. But what we're learning to do is we're learning to be skeptical first and foremost of ourselves and of our own understanding and of our culture and what it dishes to us. And instead we say, along with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is a great verse to kind of get us started today, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 reminds us to trust in the Lord with all your heart Lean not on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths, or He'll make your paths straight. What we're saying is we're not just being gullible. We're actually making a decision that I think is wiser, I think is better in my life to trust what God has to say to me about everything, not just about marriage. Today we're talking about marriage, but, and, and, and we've got to, to live that out. We can't just sort of say that either. We can't be wishy-washy about it. Um, if we're wishy-washy about it, then what we'll do usually is whenever we run into something that's difficult in here for us to swallow, we'll either set this to the side of us and kind of put it parallel with us. Worse still, we might put it down underneath us. We certainly won't let it sit above us where it needs to be. And as a believer, what we're called to do is say, I, I really trust this word, and so I'm going to put myself under it. I need to hear something from outside. I can't trust just my own view in life. As we move in then to these verses, okay, so that's general principle underlined. As we move into these verses, some will look at these passages and say, well, um, maybe this is just a passing fad that happened to be going on when Paul was writing this. Maybe that, that's a simplification of it. That's what some would say. Many would say, actually, in our culture. The problem is, answer this question for me. When does Christ cease to lay down his life to show love for the church? When does he cease to do that? Never. Never ceases to do that. When does the church cease to be called to recognize Christ as our head and put ourselves under his loving servant leadership? Never. We're always called. That's an eternal reality. So, unfortunately for us, Paul doesn't root it in something shifting. He roots it in something that's pretty well anchored down. So we've got to run with it. The other thing folks will say, and I hope you track with me here again, um, is that maybe Paul just kind of catered to these people. Maybe there's something going on in Ephesus, and he just kind of catered to them, which is real problematic because he never does that. You know, he's all, you read those chapters of the Bible where they talk about how many times he was whipped and beaten and so forth. That wasn't because he was saying popular things that everybody liked and everybody received well. That was usually because people got a little upset. They got so upset that they, they hurt the guy. So Paul's, uh, you know, plan and regular way of operating was not to just go along with the culture. And it's particularly, and then, then we'll move on, it's particularly problematic to say that in this place, in Ephesus. Y'all remember when we started looking earlier this fall at Ephesus, we said there was a wonder of the world in this city of Ephesus. Remember what that was? The temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis. So I don't think that if Paul's trying to develop a message that's real palpable to a particular community, that the community that worships a female goddess is necessarily going to be any more excited today than we are about hearing some of the challenging things in these verses. If this is true of the sort of church, that the church has these critical perspectives of these verses, how much more so when we take in the whole scope of our culture that has literally no definition right now as to what marriage is, therefore definitely doesn't want to hear this idea from the scriptures that there's a plan and a purpose for how husbands and wives would live out their relationship with each other. This is what we face. As we face it, we also have something refreshing here. We have this reality that Paul says that in our marriages we have an opportunity to live out a divine illustration, to live out, if you will, the things that Christ has done for us, for husbands to love their wives and give themselves 
for her, for wives to submit to their husbands as Christ, as the church does to Christ. We have the opportunity to live out something of the glories of Christ. might be hard for us to grasp, but that's the vision that Paul's setting before us here. He calls us to that really in a section of verses here. There's a number of verses together where he's calling us to mutual submission in Christ. That's why I read verse 21 first. If you want to look back there with me at verse 21 was the passage we started with. It's really the end of the previous section, but it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He goes on. He talks about this issue of submission for wives in verse 22. If you look down in chapter 6, verse 1, we didn't read it yet, excuse me, but also verse 5 of chapter 6, one of those speaks about children, and it says obey in my translation, but it's that same idea of submitting. Uh, slaves or servants uh, submit to your earthly masters. If we Basically what I'm saying here is if we've got a problem with the idea of submission in general, whether it's men or women or whoever's called to it, the Bible is actually calling all of us to different roles in relationship with different leadership over us and telling us that it's a good thing, actually, for us to find joy in this calling of submission. So this is a calling for all of us. We've certainly recognized, we can recognize today or any other time, the abuse of this, whether it's a, 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 a boss with his workers, whether it's parents with his children, whether it's a, a husband with his wife. Uh, any authority situation, any leadership situation can always be abused. I like what John Stott says. Y'all like, no, I like to go back to, to him. He says, for we have to agree that women in many cultures have been exploited being treated like servants in their own home, that children have been suppressed and squashed, that workers have been unjustly treated. And he says this, he says, nothing in the paragraphs we're about to study is inconsistent with true liberation of human beings from all humiliation, exploitation, and oppression. These are actually verses that lift us up, lift us up together as husbands and wives to what we're called to. And I'll remind us of, uh, I've got one little phrase, a Latin phrase, it's the only one I know. Don't think I'm uh, some intellectual with my Latin knowledge, but this one has been really helpful for me. And I don't say this to make light in any way of any of the abuses of authority, particularly of husbands relative to their wives, but it's really an important principle that we need to remember, and that is this, abusus usum non tollet. Abusus usum non tollet. And what that says is abuse does not negate proper use. We don't tell doctors to stop using scalpels to do surgery and saving people's lives just because some doctors might use those scalpels to take life. Scalpel is not the problem. The principle here in these verses is not the problem either. It's somebody misusing it if it's been abused. And I think you'll see that as we go forward in these verses. Perhaps the biggest thing we need to see here in these verses, and we actually have already looked at it in our worship service, you may not have realized, in Philippians chapter 2, that was our uh, assurance of pardon today. If you want to look in your bulletin, you can at that assurance of pardon section. It tells us, it describes this beautiful picture. If we think submission in itself is bad, we've got a real big problem because the way that the Lord Jesus Christ secured our salvation, it tells us in these verses, is that he submitted himself. He took on the form of a servant. He became obedient even to death. He followed the Father. He submitted to the will of the Father. 
So I say all that to help us get a picture of this idea of mutual submission in Christ. Now let's, let's take a minute and let's walk through some of the things, husbands, that these verses, I think, call us to. We can't address all of them, and then wives as well. We also read another important verse already in our worship service. Actually, our call to worship was from Isaiah 54, which is a verse in the Old Testament. There's a number of them. Hosea is another place where it talks about this. Ezekiel 16 talks about this. It describes God as a loving husband to his bride, the people of Israel, God's people. And they're often a a wayward bride, and yet God is called, showing himself to be a loving and, and merciful God. And so it makes sense then when we come to these verses, and I invite you to look with me at verse 25 in Ephesians chapter 5, that we are called husbands to a loving servant leadership. We're actually being called to emulate what God has done with his people. tells us, husbands, to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with the word, might present her might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It actually says multiple things. To love husbands, your wives, to uh, sacrifice for your wife as well, to give up for her, to cleanse her, to present her. All of these things were called to, in fact, three times it mentions in there. Verse 25, verse 28, and verse 33 all say, husbands, love your wife. That's what we are called to do. That should be the benchmark of who we are. As we look at these uh, verses and talk about this idea of love, again, uh, Stott helps us out. He says this. He says the church is the head. The church's head is the church's bridegroom. He doesn't crush the church. Rather, he sacrifices himself in order for her to become everything for that she is called to be, namely herself in the fullness of her glory. That's what Christ does with the church. He goes on, he says, his love will lead her to uh, this path. He will give himself for her in order that she may develop her full potential under the Lord and so become, in that sense, completely herself. So husbands, what are we trying to do in leading our wives and loving our wives? We're trying to help them become everything that they should be before the Lord. That's our calling. As we do this, we're called to to self-sacrifice. Heard about this story recently in 2001, on September 3rd, a couple, or not from this country, a, a fiance, a woman and her fiance, Natalia and Sergey, were swimming off the coast of Avon, North Carolina. As they were swimming out there, a shark came in and began to attack Natalia. Sergey was watching uh, from a little bit away and saw the creature coming, warned her and screamed for her to begin to swim away. Others reported certainly that Sergey was a physically fit guy, uh, certainly a better prepared swimmer than Natalia was. The uh, shark came in and took off a chunk first of her ankle. He came back through for another swoop and, and bit her again. About this time, Sergey, who was swimming alongside her, trying to help her swim away, instead of swimming as fast as he could, began to slow down his speed in swimming. He put himself in between the shark and Natalia. She would escape. He 
would give his life so that she could escape. Local newspapers covered the story and interviewed Natalia, who in her broken English said this. She said, I was burdened that he spent the last energy he had saving me. She went on and she said, I loved him more than my life. I'm very amazed that I still keep my life and not him. He was the kindest, most beautiful person I knew. A couple days later, a single woman newspaper writer wrote in a local newspaper and asked this simple question. Where are the guys like this man? I would love to marry somebody like this man. It's a biblical call for us men is to figure out what it means to lovingly, sacrificially give our lives. Now, the the tough thing is, is we can kind of rattle around a little bit with that heroic calling, can't we? We can kind of start to go down that pathway and say, yes, I would die for my wife. I would do these things, no doubt about it. And as one of my good friends said to me, he said, it's very easy to say you would die for your wife. It's really hard to take out the trash for her. It really is, isn't it? But we have at once this high vision and calling, and when we have the reality that we've got to figure out how to map this out on our day-to-day lives, husbands. I like what uh, Robert Lewis says, and if folks, if you want to read some more about this, if, uh, if you're willing to consider this, if you've never thought about this, I really recommend it. There's a book called Rocking the Rolls that this guy Robert Lewis wrote, and he has uh, some men's material, and he's got a, a, a description of what a godly man should be that I've always found nice. You can kind of encapsulate it. He says, a godly man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and seeks the greater reward. Okay, we'll focus in on a, a couple of those now as we think about some specific applications. Husbands, what does this mean for us to love our wives, to lead them in a servant way, but a loving way? Well, it means that we set aside what we want for what they want when we can and in every way we can. If you think that's going to come naturally, it won't. What comes naturally for me, I know, trust I'm not alone in this, is selfishness, self-centeredness. The scriptures call us instead to this sort of self-sacrificing leadership that we can't do on our own. We've got to have God's grace working on us. One area I thought about, uh, husbands, I think would help all of us a lot. There's a bunch of areas we could probably work on, but just one. Uh, you maybe heard, men, about this five love languages thing. And uh, it's not necessarily something you're going to find in Scripture and, and verse, but it sure is a helpful principle that's true. It talks about these different love languages that we all have, men and women, uh, verbal, physical, gifts, service, and time. And... Um, Guys, I know you like to, to, to generally work smarter, not harder. At least that's the way I try to live things out. This is one of those things that could really help you. So listen up for a minute here. What this means, these love languages mean, is that all of us kind of receive love in different ways. And one of the best things you can do to, to try to really love your wife well is to figure out which one of these five things, or maybe, maybe there's two of them, that she really is the way she really receives love. And I'll just give you an example. Patience's love language is time. What that means, guys, for me, is that 
I could go buy gifts. I could serve her in some way. I could tell her I love her. Um, I can hug her or be close to her. All those things. But if I do all of those and don't do the one thing of spend time with her, quality time with her, she won't experience love. And what's hard about that, man, is sometimes we feel like, well, I'm loving my wife. I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Well, it's not really coming through. It's not breaking into her life. Uh, conversely, let me help you out the other way as well. If I do that one thing, here's my little secret. I'm giving all the secrets away, guys. Uh, this is not a pass on all the other four things, but if you do this one thing and do it well, you can drop the ball in some of those other areas, and it won't be the end of the world. You really can. Now, I'm not saying you do that, but you can do it, and you'll be all right. So figure that out. Think about how to love your wife well. Think about how to communicate love to her as well. We're going to talk in a minute about uh, submission, the submission that wives are called to, so we're going to get to that in a second here. One other thing I want to say, though, to uh, husbands, actually two other things. One is when we get to this submission thing, husbands, it should be the rarest thing in the world that we have to take our leadership role that God has called us to in marriage that these verses clearly lay out and use it in some way that goes against what our wife is desiring and wants. We should be hearing and listening what she wants and needs. We should be ready to respond to that. Certainly there should not be anything abusive about the way we use that, although as I'll mention in a few minutes, there are some places where we need to lead. And that may not be the decision that our wife necessarily agrees with, where we're called to, to lead. I do want to say a word about that as well. We, when you read these verses and you're in our culture, probably the thing you feel most is that you've got to explain the abuses of husbands who have been forceful or in some way treated their wife inappropriately based on their strength or their power, whatever you want to describe. And, that, and that, as I've said already, that is a huge problem. Problem. There's no reason or excuse for that. I'll tell you what um, might be as worse as bad is the number of us men who are passive, who are sitting back and have no concern about trying to figure out what it means for our family to move forward spiritually. No concern about really making sure we're glorifying God with our finances or glorifying God with how we relate to the in-laws or glorifying God with our spiritual time as a family. I've seen uh, husbands that have, have, have sat beside as a, as a wife seeks to medicate with her own spiritual issues by spending and spending and spending, and it's not good for her, and it's killed the family budget, and he, the, the man would rather go uh, get another client or work another 10 hours than step up and in a gracious but firm way lead his family, and say, this is where we are going as a family financially. Seen men whose, and this could be men too, husbands and wives, but I've seen men whose wives can't decide on church. We can't decide where we want to go to church. Always looking for a new church. Got to find the right worship service. Been visiting churches for 10 years, for five years, whatever. Um, it's not loving leadership, husbands, to, to not at some point say, this is what we're doing as a family spiritually. We are plugging in here, honey. I love you. This is where we're going to church because this is good for our family. Man, that's some of what it means for us to lead in a loving way, in a way that's not passive either. Wives, these verses 
call uh, you as well to some important things. I really want to say this. I actually read this in Lewis's book. It helped me. Um, submission is not really the role that's being called for here. The husband is called to loving leadership and wives. The biblical perspective, as hard as it is for me to say this, even as it rolls off my lips, I know how it sounds in our culture, is, uh, is to be a, a helper, a supporter, a follower of your husband's leadership. And so he's supposed to lead with love, and, and the calling that God has for you is to follow in submission and respect. That's, that's the biblical passage here. That's what it's saying for us. As we look at these verses, we'll see that uh, this isn't, as I said, something that's just cultural. Paul's actually rooting it in the relationship of Christ to his church and to his people. Uh, one other commentator uh, says this, The wife will find herself not in trying to be the man or be the husband, but in voluntary, joyful submission to his leadership. That's the biblical perspective. Again, it's a hard one. It goes very counter to our culture. But God is actually calling you, ladies, wives, to find your joy and hope in receiving the leadership of your husband. And I guarantee you, if and it doesn't always work this way because we're all in process. One of us might be moving ahead with this. One of us might be falling behind. But if you have a husband who's loving servant leadership, man, if you're doing this, then your wife will probably have a lot of joy in following you. If you're not doing that, man, then your wife's going to have some difficulty for you. But regardless, wives, this is the calling that God has for you in these verses. As I mentioned a minute ago for some application, ladies, uh, just as I challenge the men to move towards this thing instead of moving away from it. Men are called to move towards servant leadership. God's also calling you, wives, to move towards this calling of supporting and encouraging the leadership of your husband in the family. Certainly that looks the same way as I talked about the love languages. That wouldn't be bad for you to learn about the love languages and respond back to your husband with that. It's interesting. Verse 33, if you look with me in these verses, mentions one thing that I think is really important for husbands. It's not really one of those love languages, but it is really important. It says that the wife should see that she respects her husband. Now, wives, you know, us husbands, I know myself, I do things that don't deserve respect, certainly. <laughs> but the primary calling, the general calling, is to respect this. And I, I, I don't know um, if we as Husbands just have fragile egos, if that's what it is, if we really need that support. But we do, wives. We, we struggle to lead in the way that we're called to if we don't know that someone is following us and supporting us and wants to see us succeed in that. And I'll say this one last thing. Um, wives, it is good to go to um, Bible studies and hear about the Bible and learn God's Word. It's good to go to conferences. It's, it's good to read uh, daily devotionals and so forth. What I want, us, want you to see here in these verses, just as the husband is going to grow spiritually as he tries to live out this servant leadership role, um, you can go to Bible studies and go to devo read devotionals all day, but if you don't begin to pursue God's calling for you as a wife in your marriage, as it's laid out in the Scripture, you're going to be missing a big part of the spiritual growth that he has for you. And I know it requires blasting through some of the barriers in our culture. But I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll take that step. As both husband and wife begin to do this, I think we'll see that God will be glorified in our midst. I sent you all by way of, uh, of email this song by uh, Andrew Peterson. I hope if you, if you haven't got that, you'll read it. It's called Dancing in the Minefields. 
Because you realize whether it's the challenge to husbands to love their wives and give themselves up for them and really live in servant leadership and hear what they're saying and make decisions based on that, or it's the calling for wives to follow that leadership and support it, this is very difficult stuff to do. None of us does it perfectly. And so we, just as in the church body, we're living out grace with one another. We're recognizing that none of us is the, the perfect brother or sister in Christ in the church body to each other. So husbands and wives, we need to show grace with each other. Recognize that we're not going to fulfill any of these things to the degree that we should. But as we see this picture of Christ laying down his life for the church, coming in love and submission, it raises us up to see that we're called to that. We can begin to live that out. And the worst thing we can do is just dismiss it out of political correctness. Uh, uh, Even if we take a step back from that and just hear it, but don't really want to try to pursue it. God's word is good for us. Gives us good instruction for us to live by. I hope you'll receive it today for our benefit, for our good, and for God's glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do praise you and thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you um, for places where the wives are fulfilling this calling and their husbands are knowing that uh, their wife supports them and that they can lead and they're motivated and moved to to follow through in servant leadership. And I thank you for places where in the day-to-day things, uh, not so much in shark attacks, but in the day-to-day things, Lord, where uh, we who are here as husbands are learning to love and to serve and also to lead and not be passive. Would you help us, Lord? It's uh, not easy to do this. And if we haven't been walking in this pathway, it's going to be a little bit difficult to get going on it. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.